morning of Huff Center Church, and thanks to all of you for being here. My name is Dee, and uh, the privilege this morning of Huff Center's dig into Habakkuk. That's right, Habakkuk. Um, I, I don't know if you're wildly familiar with this book. Um, if so, then we ought to change places right now. Um, Habakkuk is even hard to find, so let me just, um, if you're looking for it, Old Testament, go almost to the end and then back up a few pages. Or you could actually use the table of contents, and that will take you right there. Habakkuk is this brief little prophetic book, um, three chapters long. And I just want to say that it maybe as much as um, any prophet, certainly any book this size, just elicits kind of a, a response that you find it difficult to read it and not either resonate or react or respond. Something arises, I think, out of most people's spirit if you're reading a translation that makes sense to you, that, um, that fits who you are. So I, here's my challenge to you this week. Three chapters. If you could maybe set aside three times this week, you're going to read all the way through it, just like a one-sitting experience. I encourage you to take up that challenge. Three days, three chapters each day, you'll have read through the book three times, and just let it affect your spirit. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about this in the hopes that maybe you might find something there in this book that is worth dwelling on for a period of time. One of the characteristics of Habakkuk that I think is, um, poses some problems, is that it's a little difficult to know the context of Habakkuk. And you know that context is real important to me. It helps us to understand both the audience, the message to that audience, and then understanding that, it kind of gives us parameters or boundaries as to how we then apply that to our own journey today. Well, there are some who have some conjectures about the context of Habakkuk. And some of those conjectures make sense. It's just difficult to read these three chapters and have any firm, hard convictions that we know exactly when it was written and the purpose behind it. Other than the message that comes out of it, the context itself is a little elusive. Now, there are several who think and for good reason, that it's written about the time that the Babylonians come in and take over the land and the people and just have this kind of swath of destruction because everywhere they go, they just conquer everyone, everything, every place. That's possible. And into that, it makes sense some of Habakkuk's complaints, which we'll get to in a few moments. But it's also possible to look at these same circumstances and say, well, there could be some other settings that it would fit as well. So that leads me to this maybe acknowledgement of some of the things that I treasure about Scripture. And that is that sometimes when we come across a passage that we don't know the context, it gives us a little bit more freedom to say, well, I wonder... I wonder how many different settings this really speaks into. 
it certainly had an audience at the time, and we can kind of reflect about what that might mean. But let's as well say, okay, what are the many possible scenarios today that this storyline would wrap around, would teach us about, would give us instruction on how to react to those things? I would add to this that even the name Habakkuk, I am told that it is as odd in Hebrew as it is in English. Almost as if um, we have no autobiographical or biographical information, almost as if this mystery person is left mysterious for a purpose. A voice that speaks to us maybe out of an unknown context, but certainly not into the vacuum of our own lives. There's so much here that can resonate for who we are and how we function. Here's one of the things that I appreciate about Habakkuk in contrast to some other prophets. And again, you may not feel this way about um, some of the other prophets, both ancient and current prophets. But I sometimes feel like prophets speak at me. There is this confrontation in your face. I'm going to call it out and hear the things that need to be corrected so that there can be a happy ending to this story. And I feel like I get confronted and like a strong wind is blowing in my face. Sometimes that's great because sometimes I need to be confronted with the issues in my life, I need to be just called out on the things that I'm doing, and often the prophetic word kind of comes in that way. Habakkuk seems like a different voice. Instead of speaking at me, I feel like Habakkuk is speaking for me. The things that Habakkuk says are the kinds of questions, complaints, frustrations that just kind of stir around in my heart, but I don't have the courage to say them out loud because it feels blasphemous. It feels like God's already a little angry and I don't want to make it worse by saying some of the things I'm thinking about what's going on. But Habakkuk, either out of naivete or courage, steps into the setting and speaks what I have thought. He raises hard questions. Where are you, God? I look around me, I see no evidence that you're at work. All of the things that I'm observing, it just seems like the wrong people are winning. And they're winning by a lot. It is not a solo voice in Scripture. Habakkuk isn't the only one that speaks this. We can go to the Psalms and find that the people who wrote the Psalms express a similar kind of thing. In Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, 
The psalmist cries out and says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Psalm 62, verse 3, speaks the same kind of voice. It says, How long will you assail a person, O Lord? We can shift over to Job, Job chapter 19, verse uh, 2, I believe is where it's at. Job levels this complaint. How long, O Lord, will you torment me? Habakkuk's not the only one that raises these questions, but in this moment, Habakkuk is just persistent. <laughs> he said, I'm looking all around me, and the things I see, it's, it's just not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't feel at all like it's according to how I know you and your word. Now, we can look at what might be the context of the Babylonians coming and taking over the land, and this complaint makes sense. I mean, in that context, it's basically where Habakkuk is saying, the instrument of your justice deserves justice. Meaning that I know that we've not been the best, but the people you're using to take us down, they're a whole lot worse than we are. Where is the justice in that, God? Who's going to take them down? This doesn't make sense. They make an idol of their own strength. They, they pervert the balances. They have no regard for the things that at least we know are true. They seem to not even know those things. And they're winning. So that's kind of the macro level. And I think we can probably make applications in a modern setting to that macro level of circumstances in the world in which we live. And levy a similar complaint. The wrong people are winning, God. Where are you? I, I don't, if we take it from the macro level and shrink it down to maybe the relational level between people, I, I sometimes wonder why we don't get more upset, more vocal, don't say more things about what seems to be wrong. So in my thinking, I kind of put this in perspective of a, of a sports competition. I know not everybody in here is an avid sports fan, and that's okay, but I'm going to ask those of you who aren't, just pretend like you are a little bit for a moment. And maybe it will help if you think that possibly in the sports competition, you have somebody that you care about deeply. It might be a child who's on the team. It might be a sibling who's on the team. It um, might be somebody that you just care deeply for. And you're watching this match. I, I'm not even going to name a kind of sport. You put it into any sport that's familiar to you. And you're watching. And what happens is that the person you care about deeply scores. And you take a glance at the scoreboard. And something went wrong because they gave the points to the opposite team, the other person. 
whether it's a team sport, individual sport, the points went in the wrong direction. You have this momentary reaction of what? And then you realize, okay, probably a mistake. Somebody's going to catch it. Scorekeeper will change it. But it doesn't happen. Minutes pass. This is like a twofold mistake because not only did the right person not get the points, but the points were given to the wrong person. There's a little bit of a feeling of outrage. This isn't fair. This isn't just. The way the system is supposed to work has gotten grossly perverted, and nobody's holding the scorekeeper accountable. Who's in charge? Now, you are so unemotional in these moments, but at a sports game, there would be parents coming down on the field. And I would propose to you that Habakkuk is coming down on the field and saying, hold on, the game's got to stop. This isn't even a game anymore. This is messed up. And Habakkuk is saying, oh God, this is messed up. Are you not watching the scorekeeper? Are you at the concession stand? Because something is so wrong with this. We can apply it relationally. The same truths that are written into this happen in our interpersonal relationships with people where it just seems like in the ways in which we live out our life, we you know, do all the right things. We pay our dues. We put in our time. Whatever other cliche you want to put in there, we do that. And then someone else comes along and it seems like they get all of the things that we thought were going to come for us. And, and we're left going, what just happened? Have I wasted all my energy, all my time? Did I put my trust in the wrong place? I, I didn't think that's how this was supposed to work. I don't even know who to complain to because there's no complaint department for those kind of relationships. I'd write a letter, but I don't know who to mail it to. It's like the system got turned upside down and somehow I missed that day. And I've been playing by this old set of rules that got passed on to me and it's not working the way I thought it was supposed to work. God are you still silent? Well, let's just say for a moment that for whatever reason, God's blessing has poured out on you. Or, or the world system have worked very well for you. This same scenario plays itself out inwardly as much as it does outwardly. You may be blessed with so many wonderful things. But there are so many among us who are living in that place where all of those things have not satisfied what it is that deeply within longs for connectedness, longs for fulfillment, longs for forgiveness, longs for something that satisfies that for years I've been filling with so many other things in my life 
that I keep thinking the next thing will do it and it never does. And we're left feeling isolated, alone, thinking nobody else understands what it is that I've been going through. Everybody else maybe feels frustrated at my success, but don't they get it? The friendships feel incredibly artificial. They feel empty. I've not found what it is that I think other people have. And I might be the envy of others, but oh my goodness, my journey, it's not something to envy. That kind of stuff happens inwardly, even if it's not happening outwardly. And then along comes Habakkuk, who just blurts it out and says it. Wow, that's just gutsy. Or stupid, I don't know. We get to chapter 2. And it's an interesting movement that happens as we go to chapter 2. It says God responds. Wow. And God's response, he tells Habakkuk, I want you to write this down, bold enough, big enough, so that even a runner can see it. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I don't know if you've tried to read while you're running. It's really hard to do. Just the bounce, the movement. If you can read anything, it just makes you nauseous. I don't think that's what this means, though it could be. I think it's the speed with which a runner runs by to see like a signpost. Write it large enough, big enough, so at the crossroads a runner could see. Put it on a billboard. Let's just make it big enough so that even a runner could see the message. And that's partly why in this series that we've been in, I think Habakkuk is a wonderful example to use for the evangelical way. For those of you that are guests this morning, just to bring you quickly into a series that we're in. But we're talking about the Christian faith and the many different streams that seep into this journey of faith and help us to give expression to what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ. So we've looked at six different traditions and understanding the breadth and balance of the Christian walk. We've talked about how important it is to have a vital one-on-one relationship with our Creator and to nurture that faithful relationship. But that's not all there is to this discipleship journey. It calls us to as well to be engaged in the community of faith. We're not intended to walk the journey alone. We're intended to live out this faith in community with one another, just like iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another person. And we allow that to happen by coming together and talking about our faith, living into our faith, and doing this as a community. But it doesn't end there. God's grace and work toward us, it calls us to take that faith and to live it out. To live it out in community, the marketplace, the world in which we live. To be concerned about things like social justice, but to also be concerned about how we share the good news that makes that social justice call a reality. So to that end, we have spent five weeks going through different streams of Christian thought and ways in which we give expression to that. We've looked at the contemplative way and the way of holiness. 
and how those things help to nurture that faithful one-on-one relationship with God. We've talked about the importance of the charismatic tradition last week, as well as the sacramental tradition that calls us together as a body of believers to use our gifts and to step into the sacraments as a way by which we receive grace and live out our faith. We've also talked about the issues of social justice. Today we're talking about the evangelical way and what it means. I will confess that I feel like during this last generation, the word evangelical has been kidnapped. It has come in some ways to be so narrowly defined as if it is a particular group with certain political views that use that influence in particular ways. I simply want to say, I want to reclaim that word and say that it has a history that's far deeper and far longer than the last generation of which I'm a part. This goes back to the good news of the gospel. You can look at Paul and his evangelical fervor, his missionary endeavors, his desire that all would hear the good news, and his passion for letting that good news be shared. It's part of the Great Commission. We're to go and to make disciples. We're to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. This is part of the call to share the good news. It is in so many ways an acknowledgement that the call of the gospel in our life calls us to turn. That's the root nature of the language. It is a conversion from what I had been pursuing to having Jesus as the Lord of my life. From the things that have drawn me to find satisfaction and fill my life with things that never quite lead to satisfaction to the one who created me and knows that for which I deeply long. I know that doesn't always come easy. I I love a prayer that is attributed to Augustine and it's coming out of his life that was pretty promiscuous in many ways. And in his writings, references, I believe, this prayer that says, O Lord, bring me to a place of chastity and self-control, just not yet. (laughs) Those things that have been part of our journey have such an appeal and such an attraction to them that even when we know a direction we ought to go, there is a huge draw that pulls us in two different directions. It is by God's grace, by the Spirit of God, that over time those attractions draw us to the place of joy and fulfillment, of satisfaction and hope. A saying, again, attributed to him that I actually far prefer. 
it has stuck with me and makes me reflect again and again. Augustine is attributed as saying, and, and I'll preface this by saying, if you don't remember anything else from this morning, I really hope you remember this. Without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. It is really the evangelical message. Without God, I can't save myself. I can't be a disciple. I can't step into all of the things that God has called me to do without God. I don't even have a message to share without God. So without God, I can't. But here's the amazing call from Scripture, and that is that God has invited us into partnership. It is culminated in this statement, without us, God won't. Now, I want you to hear me. I, I believe deeply that if there is a person for whatever reason is not in a place doesn't have access to others who might share the good news that God will make even the rocks cry out with praise in honor of God and who God is and that no one is left without a witness. God doesn't leave anyone abandoned. But I also deeply believe that God has invited us into this place of partnership so that the good news gets shared through us. And God has chosen to invite us into that place. Our prayer might be, oh Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I feel like often God's response to that is yes, and that's why I placed you on earth, to bring some heaven to earth. It's like that prayer gets put back on us and saying, yes, and that's why I've given you my spirit. So that you might be the good news gospel. So here's the answer from God to Habakkuk. Wait for it. No, that's it. That's not what I'm telling you to do. That's the message. Is Wait for it. <laughs> this is what it says in chapter 2. It's an act of waiting. I really believe that. It's a waiting that calls us to action. It's a waiting because we are partners with God. It calls us to engage, but but wait for it. It is as Habakkuk says that those who have faith actually live. Those who are going about the things that you are complaining about, Habakkuk, and that many of us didn't have the courage to say, they have within them the seeds of the problems that will eventually bring them down. The very attribute of making an idol of your own strength is that eventually that strength is going to give away. The idol collapses. 
and so does that which is gained via that kind of faith. It may not happen before the day is over, before the sun sets. It may not happen by the end of the week, but the seeds of its own demise are wrapped in to those who live in that kind of a fashion. And the seeds of righteousness have a trajectory that if we will look back over history, we will see the ways in which God has worked over and over and got brought about God's work among us. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do when it feels like God is silent? What do we do when it feels like the scales got flipped, when the systems that we thought we could trust no longer seem trustworthy? This notion of wait, wait for it. I think it calls us to do a couple of things. It calls us to lean into the patterns of faith that have been set before us. We're coming to the table of grace this morning. It's a rhythm, it's a pattern. It's something that reminds us of what has been and those who have gone before us. We're in this weekend of All Saints Day. What a powerful time to reflect on all of those who have pointed us toward Christ. Those who have lived lives in such a fashion in the midst of their circumstances that the good news came through and we saw it. They touched our life. I don't know who it was for you, but but I know it was someone. That's how God works. It was someone, a teacher, a pastor, a friend. It could have been a relative. I don't know. But someone pointed you in a direction that led you to go, well, I'm curious. I'm curious about what they're talking about, about what they have. Leaning into the rhythms of grace, the rhythms of the spiritual journey, causes us to step into that which has gone before us. It also gives us space. Space to hear God's voice, to see God at work. Space where we might actually see something beginning to happen. The seeds beginning to push through the ground. Something's occurring because I see something there that I didn't see before. Wait for it. Come to the table of grace. Let the rhythms of the spiritual journey call us to the place of the good news and to a place of trust that this good news is coming to pass. Call back to our psalm reading from last week. Blessed are they who put their trust in God. See this morning, may this be a renewal of trust. Stephanie Brack, come and lead us in communion as we step into the